Rodgers has it. Gives to Franklin. He no, dies. No, I don't think no, he got it. I no, don't think he got out, it. The ball is out. The Bengals have scooped it up. Bouncing in the pocket, his throw caught at the 10-yard line. Tegan straight into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals. It's a TD. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. Uh, welcome back. We've had another week off. Uh, but as I say, we are indeed back for another uh, chatter natter uh, about the Bengals. You'll be surprised to know. And joining me after his well trip away, shall we say, is Nathan Palmer. Nathan, are you there? Oh, I am indeed there, Paul. And it's a pleasure to be back doing Cincinnati with you after you you had a bit of an affair um, <laughs> last week on the podcast. I hear. Uh, yeah, and there's been calls for you being replaced and everything. So, um, <laughs> so you had a one night stand and then brought me back. Exactly. Yeah, that's more my style, I think. But no, not really. <laughs> uh, but how are you? It's you r- arrived back in Blighty and it was absolutely chucking it down in rain, and uh, uh, and now you're isolating. So yeah, welcome home to you. <laughs> I know, I know. But you know what they say though: a change is better than a rest, my son. So I feel, I feel very refreshed. I feel ready to do this Ring of Honor special podcast, and I, I'm, I'm all guns blazing. Well, thanks for giving the whole theme away early doors. Bloody <laughs> hell! Um, you need to get back onto your media training, I think. For for no. this is why you've uh, this is why you called in a replacement for me last exactly, week. Exactly, exactly. Uh, as Nathan mentioned, we are going to concentrate on the Ring of Honor um, uh, this week because uh, the voting is now open for season ticket holders, and of course, we're a little bit jealous uh, because we can't uh, vote ourselves. Uh, but what a brilliant thing uh, to have a Ring of Honour. And we thought we'd take a bit of time to celebrate some of the players that are on that list. There's a whole list of like 17 players that uh, people can vote for. And I'm delighted to say we've got one of those players uh, uh, for you a bit later. And that player is Bob Trumpy, the legendary Bob Trumpy. And if you don't know him, he was one of the original Bengals. He was drafted in 1968 in the 12th round. He is still the Bengals record holder uh, at tight end when it comes to receiving yards, touchdown receptions and yards per uh, catch average. Um, To say he was a groundbreaking player is kind of putting it a little bit mildly. And I think one of the things about the Ring of Honor is that we do get to celebrate and talk about these players that perhaps the younger generation of listeners out there uh, don't know too much about so um it is really another pinch myself moment uh, uh and ourself moment uh when we can say that we have the legendary bob trumpy on the podcast and he'll be coming up a little bit later uh but first things first nathan it's all going cincinnati the boys are back in town aren't they I've never seen people get more excited about a man crossing a road in my life, but you know that's <laughs> or, or, sort of mood in actually, town at the moment, isn't it? Or actually fearful of crossing the road because um, <laughs> obviously he's got a knee guard on, and I did as he as he sort of clip clopped across the road. I did, you know what I mean? Walking across the road in studs, in cleats, is like oh, that's he could slip over. He could get his 
foot caught in something. And uh, he got, to, but you're right. Some rogue, some rogue Uber driver just takes him out. Across <laughs> oh, no, right? Oh my goodness me! But yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty amazing to see Joe Burrow out there on the practice field. It's May, and he got injured in sort of October, November, and he's throwing a football around, and he looks great, doesn't he? Yeah, obviously he looks smooth. He competed in a couple of the drills. Not all of them. I think they held him out of some of the deeper throws. But like you said, incredible to think that it's been, what, six months, maybe just slightly over that, and he's already back on the field at OTAs. And I don't think anyone would have expected that. I think the realistic timeline was that, can we get him back for the season opener? And even when that injury happened, I think a lot of people questioned if that was doable. So to see him out there in May throwing the ball around, looking chirpy and obviously around his new teammates and old teammates fantastic to see and I think it's really been a big lift to all fans out there yeah it must be a big lift to the players as well because the leader yeah, is back and just symbolically having Joe Burrow back on the practice field chucking the ball around even if it's just sort of 10 yards and really basic routes and 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 kind of formations and as Joe said in the press conference you know it was important for him to be there just to hear his voice in the huddle and and call plays and you've got Riley Reef, who's new on the line Jackson Carmen who's new on the line they need to hear his cadence and all the rest of it so um yeah big boost a big boost for the team I think and then you also had Joe Mixon back and CJ Uzama and DJ Readers on the sideline working out and and Trey Waynes is back and Trey Hopkins is on the uh, workout bike on on the side of the field. All the trays are back, Nathan. It's <laughs> it's. It, I mean, it is the most positive and fun time of the year, isn't it? No, I mean this is this is I think the point in every team's year when every team thinks they can do it and you know they're feeling positive about their chances. The draft picks are looking shiny and new. And I think the one thing for the Bengals that really was interesting and I thought I thought I took the most away from was Jesse Bates, who's probably the best player on that defence. He's been in the locker room now a number of years and he came out in a proud interview and basically just said, "Look, Joe Burrow's the leader on this team, unquestioned, and we're really happy to have him back." And I think that speaks volumes about the respect that the players have got for him within that locker room. You know, a guy mm-hmm. on the other side of the ball, experienced, you know, an absolute talent with his within his own right. And you can just tell there's no doubt whatsoever that Burrow really possesses that leadership quality. And as you mentioned earlier, the the lift to the entire roster and the coaching staff and the team to see him out there. Um, even just symbolically in May is a really, really positive um, start with still sort of three, four months to go before the start of the season. And you know what? The next big thing for the Bengals this off-season could well be, you know, signing Jesse Bates to uh, an extension, Sam Humber to an extension. They're, due, they're both due and I would expect them to both get new contracts. So that might that might happen in the near future, you know? Certainly for Jesse Bates, I'd like to see it done. I mean, I, I want Sam Hubbard back as well. But I think uh, the way that Bates performed last year, and he, he showed flashes in his rookie season and then tailed off a little bit in season two. But the last season, he was unquestionably the standout player on that defence. And I think with the amount of cap room the Bengals have got left, and obviously he's a, you know, a draft pick of ours, you want to hold on to him and build uh, around players with his sort of quality. So I certainly think that's a deal that the front office and Duke Tobin will be working on behind the scenes. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and uh, let's hope that gets done quite quickly. Um, OTAs are funny, though, aren't they? Because they're back on the practice field for, I think they get 10 OTAs, um, and then um, then it's then they, 
that's it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a big gap until training camp and it's kind of, you know, the Lord giveth and then the Lord taketh away, isn't it, with OTAs? Just when you're kind of excited about players out there in their new jerseys and whatnot, then it goes all quiet. So, um, yeah, it's a shame, but uh, that's the way it is. Uh, but it's great to see Joe Burrow back for sure. Yeah, and I think also really positive for the Bengals that 100% of the players turned up because you often see mm. with veterans and some sort of slightly more senior players that they don't feel the need to turn up for it or if there's any contract issues <laughs> there and people want to sort of make a bit of a point, you often don't get everyone there. And I think for the Bengals who have gone through a big period of transition over the last couple of years, both at the coaching side but also on the player side with a lot of veterans moving on as we know, um, I think it's really important to get all those new guys in. There's obviously been a lot of new characters in free agency brought in, a lot of draft picks brought in, um, some players that didn't play last year, like Trey Waynes and stuff. So I think the key for the Bengals is to gel it together, um, build up that chemistry and sort of spirit in the locker room. And I think, I know it sounds silly, I don't want to overthink it too much, but I think it's a good start to sort of building something like that, which we may well have you know, missed in the past. Yeah, I mean, certainly last year it was kind of, derailed by covid wasn't it but then again every team had to deal with that didn't they but yeah you're right with so many new players on the team chemistry is super important uh you know frank pollack is back so he will he will want to get his hands on those guys um yeah as often as possible when he can you know so um yeah and by the sounds of it he's already made quite an impression so yeah hopefully they can get some good work done in these uh otas and then uh you know, hit the ground running when it comes to training camp. Um, but that's the present day. Let's let's rewind, shall we? Let's talk about the Ring of Honor a little bit. The Bengals offered up 17 players for people to vote for. Of course, Paul Brown and Anthony Munoz are kind of automatic inductees uh, because of their Hall of Fame status, I guess, uh, for this this inaugural class. But then the Bengals offered up Ken Anderson, Willie Anderson, Jim Breach. James Brooks, Chris Collinsworth, Isaac Curtis, Corey Dillon, Boomer Sison, David Fulcher, Chad Johnson, Tim Crumry, Dave Lapham, Max Montoya, Lamar Parrish, Ken Riley, Bob Trumpy, and Reggie Williams as the 17 uh, players that uh, season ticket holders could vote for. It's quite a fantastic list. And once again, it reminds you, you know, the Bengals have had some really good players uh, throughout the, the 50 uh, or so years they've they've been in business. 100%. And it's a big list as well. They're not just sort of restricted to sort of seven, eight players. You know, you've got 16, 17 players on there, plus the two guys that are already in there. And you could make a very strong argument for every single one of those guys to go on uh, go into the Ring of Honour. Um, but do you want to? How do you want to do this, son? Do you want to go through them one by one? What, what you got? What you got in store for the listeners? Well, I thought we'd have a. I mean, who who would you? I mean, there's only two more places up for grabs uh, in on this season. Already, debate has kind of started uh, about who those two players should be. Um, I am of the mind that it should be Ken Anderson and Ken Riley, uh, the two yes. Kens, because. Um, they've been looked over for the Hall of Fame far too often for far too many years. So I do think, you know, it'd be great to show them some love. And I am actually a big proponent of um, putting in the older guys 
first. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, again, yeah. they've they've not got the recognition they deserve for so long. I'm listen. I'm all for putting Chad in. I'm all for putting AJ Green in and Geno Atkins and and those guys will be added. I'm sure um, as the years tick by, but. Initially, I'd like to see a balance, really, of some of the older guys and maybe one or two of the newer guys uh, put in there. So, I i mean, you've got two of my favourite players, or three of the, my favourite players of all time, Asias and uh, James Brooks and David Fulcher. Uh, they're my guys from the, from the team of the 80s that I began to support, but... Um, being you know, Isaac's got to be in there, you know. Um, all these guys on the list have got to be on there, and it is interesting, isn't it, that they've gone for a big list? And I wonder, I, I don't know what the right way to do it is. Maybe they should have only had sort of half a dozen guys to start with. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird because these guys are all all going to be on this list forever, aren't they? Really? So. Um, is, have they definitely committed to just... I mean, obviously, I know it's two this time round, yeah. but is that the process that two every year, that's the way they're going to do I it? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it would make sense to put in, like, four a year, basically, just to kind of whittle down that list and then start adding... The problem to- is, though, if you do, you do four in five years' time, you're yeah. kind of... Then you're starting to have to water it down. I think that that's yeah, the that's thing true. that's interesting with, like, the Hall of Fame and, you know, Ring of Honours and anything like that. You want to be careful because if you just put... Not, not saying anyone in there, but if you sort of devalue the process in, you know, in some way, mm. you don't want to disrespect some of these legends that in their own right deserve it. People like, you know, obviously Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, um, and people like that. You don't want all of a sudden to be inducting, you know, anyone and everyone that sort of had two or three good years with us and they're getting a, you know, like Brian Leonard's getting inducted to the, yeah, <laughs> to the yeah. Ring of Honor, you know. So I think two a year is good and I think it, <laughs> it, it makes it, you know, slightly more um, prestigious, and I'm comfortable yeah. with that. And uh, mm. just to sort of echo what you said, I mean, I've got you here in sort of bold blue on, you know, on this 17-person list. It's got to be Ken Riley and Ken Anderson. I think yeah. you just look at the longevity and the time they were with the team, 16 years for Ken Anderson, 15 years for Ken Riley. You don't play on a team for that many years. I mean, it's it's rare that you would ever play on a team for longer than 10 years in today's game but to play for 15 and 16 on the same team you've got to be playing at some sort of incredible standard and I think that for the Bengals not just for the the loyalty and the longevity of that career but you've got someone like Ken Anderson who took the team to the Super Bowls NFL MVP in 1981 plus Ken Riley most games ever played for the Bengals 207 and 65 interceptions which I believe is fourth or fifth in the NFL for the most ever and absolutely both of them <clears throat> should be on that NFL mm. um, Hall of Fame list let alone the Bengals Ring of Honor so I think it would be shocking to be honest if both it was they weren't the core and there's, there's some guys on there don't get me wrong as you said that well within their own rights deserve to go into the ring of honor but i think those two guys on the list stand out the most certainly for being inducted to the actual nfl um hall of fame and therefore i think they have to be you know the first ballot guys for the bengals ring of honor yeah i mean i i think uh willie should be in the hall of fame as well actually um and I think he falls that into that category, the fact that, you know, he, he was a long-tenured player for the Bengals over a decade. 
181 games, Willie, for the Bengals. Um, you know, it, what is it, sort of eight, nine Pro Bowls, something like that? No, was he? How many Pro Bowls? Did Only four Pro Bowls. Only four, okay. Uh, but I don't think he allowed a sack in about five years early in his career, which is staggering. And I think, you know, you talk to people... He also had a career outside of the Bengals as well, you remember. Yeah, he, he went Ravens, to the Ravens, I think, yeah. at the end of his career. So he had even more longevity outside of that and I think whenever you're talking about an offensive lineman a guard or something like that it's hard to really quantify their stats as much to put them in the hall of fame it's easier with receivers and running backs and quarterbacks because you've got more tangible stats to play with but with offensive linemen it comes that sometimes can come down to just sort Mm. of you know pro bowls all pro stuff like that but sometimes on a line it's difficult to measure that you know if you're a good run blocker or you're a good pass blocker or whatever and I think with Willie more than anything it was just the longevity I mean he was with the Bengals for 11 seasons carried on playing for the Ravens after that you know I believe he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens Um, I might be right in saying so yeah, absolutely. Unquestionable um, that he also deserves certainly a chance to go in. Um, I, I, you know, Collinsworth's uh, an interesting selection there because um, uh, he was a Pro Bowl receiver. He was he was really really good, um, but he didn't uh, have that sort of. Well, he had he had a, he had a decent sort of eight nine year career. Um, but he was never up there with, in terms of statistics, with the very best of them. Um, and but I think it's his personality, and his subsequent kind of career in broadcasting as well that has made. Well, maybe not his his career in broadcasting, but just his personality and the fact that he was a high profile Bengal, wasn't he? And I think uh, I mean he was a heck of a player as well. So, um, but I love Isaac Curtis. I think Isaac has a real shout. Or should have a shout for the Hall of Fame, but I don't think. I wonder if he does get in at any point. But um, Corey Dillon's a good one again, borderline Hall of Famer. I think he's got a Super Bowl with the Patriots, and you know yeah. bro- broke all kinds of certainly um, rookie rushing records with us and rushing records with us. Um, I mean, Boom is an interesting one. I, you know, he's up there with Anderson without a doubt. Uh, but the thing that does boom it down, he didn't do it for as long as Anderson. He sort of... Yeah, it was eight seasons, wasn't it? Then he came back at the end. Yeah, he had a good final fling in Cincinnati, didn't he? I think it was 97 or something like that. And um, he played well then. But certainly, in you know, I remember he sort of took over from Ken and had a few years showing real promise. And at 86, he was really good. Then it was a strike season in 87 then obviously 88 89 and to some extent 90 he was well he was the nfl mvp in 88 so i mean yeah i I mean i the closest comparison i'll uh i'll make for boomer is that he was peyton manning back in the day you know he he was a real field marshal but he had a bit more he had much more swagger than uh yeah, than Peyton Manning. So, and he he had a bit of everything. Really, he had a, he had a great. Was a lefty as well, wasn't he? Which you just yeah. don't see much in the NFL, which I think is unique. And that pair that with his personality, and you have a very unique, high quality player. Um, yeah. That, yeah, I think Boomer will probably get in at some point. Won't oh, yeah, 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 well, yeah, without a doubt. Well, I say be... all these all these guys will get on at some point. You know, it's just a case of when. Yeah. I think. Um, is there anybody there you, that you would have liked to have seen? 
Ooh. Uh, yeah, there's an argument, I guess, not necessarily for his on-field performance, but with Chris Henry as someone that I think meant a lot to the team and to the fans. I, I, but then I don't know if that necessarily commands you a place in the Ring of Honor. Um, but I certainly someone that, you know, that the Bengals, I certainly when he was playing for us, I think he was a fan favorite mm. and he was on the way to turning his life around and it was a great story and it was extremely sad to see him go like that. But I don't... What about, yeah, what I, about Carson Palmer? No, I, knew, I, I thought you might say that, and I, don't, I just don't think so. I don't, I don't think. I mean, the numbers-wise, you look at the numbers, and they're good. And you know, he made the Pro Bowl a couple of times. You know, that season in two thousand and five was possibly the best team the Bengals have ever had in terms of just pure talent. They were a pleasure to watch on offense. But I just think, even if it wasn't for the performance, I'm uh, sorry, the off-field sort of shenanigans and the cloud under which he left, I'm just not sure that he would get in there. It's, it's a tough one. But what are you saying on it? I would go for someone like Bill Berge right back in the day. Uh, he was a linebacker. Uh, I think he's probably one of the Bengals' best ever linebackers, actually. Uh, but that's like, you know, early 70s. And, of course, the Bengals let him go and he went to Philadelphia and had, like, this amazing all-pro rest of his career, typically. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think maybe someone like Carl Pickens has got a shout. His numbers are yeah. really, really strong, and he was a terrific player. A uh, bit of a gobshite, you know. He didn't, he didn't, he fell out with the organisation again. Um, I mean, do you go with someone like Hoosh? Um, do you go with someone? Well, like... he was—he was definitely someone that I was thinking about as well. I don't know if it's just with the whole sort of, as you said, letting the, some of the older guys go in there first. I—I would be surprised if every year they had a couple of guys to the list to be suggested. I think he's someone that will definitely get on the list, and I actually think that because of the sort of relevancy and because of his sort of charisma and personality, that he will be someone that hmm. at some point does go in. Because I think to a lot of people, including Tom McDowell, you know, he's a, one of their <laughs> yeah. favourite players and he, he really was, you know, a sort of fantastic character and player. So I, I, I think he will certainly have his chance. Yeah, Tom McDowell being one of uh, a British uh, flock here who's... Uh... Got more TJ Hushman's Ida jerseys than he has uh, clean underwear. Fam- family members, I think, and um, um, yeah, I mean this this is the good thing. It's debate, but what I, what I don't want to do, I don't want to, I don't want this debate to pit player against player. Do you know what I mean? Ken Anderson or Willie Anderson, which one's best? It shouldn't be about that. It should be uh, just a debate to see who goes in first uh, because they're all fantastic players and. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great old list, and you know you maybe had Justin Smith back in the early two thousands. He was terrific. Um, you know, you could go through the years and 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 add people. Um, I'm not quite sure what the criteria would be, but yeah, it, if it gets us talking about the history of the Bengals and remembering players who were just fantastic and making us feel proud or prouder to support the Bengals then I am absolutely all for it and I think it does I do think it does completely agree with you son I think that's part of the effort the Bengals made in the off season was to really sort of 
make a big effort to connect with the fans. And we've got so many good players that played for us in the past. And we've, I think, done a good job on Cincinnati and having a lot of those guys on the podcast. And whenever the Bengals have come to London, they've been fantastic in a lot of those guys turning up. And I think everyone's very proud of the history of this team. And it's, it's only right to celebrate it. And I think it's been a really positive um, addition to the team. One of those players is, of course, Bob Trumpy. Um, so let's let's talk to Bob Trumpy, shall we? So as promised, we have uh, one of the members of the Bengals Ring of Honor. I'm absolutely delighted, slightly flabbergasted, and incredibly privileged to talk to uh, one of the original Cincinnati Bengals, Bob Trumpy. Bob, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I was just uh, in preparation for this, thinking that uh, come this July 1st of 2021, Mm. uh, 53 years ago, I landed in Cincinnati from Southern California to start, hopefully, my professional football career. 53 years ago. Wow, that's incredible. It's rather remarkable that it has been 53 years. It just struck me as, what, 53 years? (laughs) My goodness. Well, let's start with that. Please ask me about the. the well, I was going to say, I mean, it's 53 years and you look really well. Apart from you've got an absolutely stonking black eye. What is going on? I mean, what happened, Bob? What, what, what do you think? I mean, I've been married to the same woman for 54 years. We can okay. eliminate her. Yeah, yeah, that's not a problem. We're not going to go down the domestic yeah, okay. abuse route. I didn't fall. I didn't trip. I. I uh, I, I don't hang out in bars. I don't drink. So, you know, this all happened uh, from a, uh, a dental procedure to fix this. Hang on. Okay, well, Bob's just taken out half of his teeth now. So um, you've got some new teeth there. Did they not realize that a dentist is supposed to work on a, on your mouth, not your eye? Yeah, well, <laughs> the dentist who I've gone to for years uh, apparently used a jackhammer that I was unaware of. <laughs> right. And I'm on blood thinner at 76. Oh, okay. So it produced a lot of bruising, but no pain, no discomfort. Uh, I'm past the vanity part of my life. <laughs> I don't care what I look like. Yeah. I'm upright, and I and I celebrate that every day. So... I'm fine. Yeah, no, you look, you look, uh, you look fighting fit there. Uh, I was going to say maybe you thought it was 53 years you'd go out in the yard and start catching some passes again in celebration. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got three grandsons. Uh, one of them is the uh, uh, technical expert for this setup for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, it, it it was all because of uh, uh, blood thinner and uh, a dentist trying to. Uh, put a couple of implants that for years I've suffered a problem with, and mm. I'm fine. Good. So what can I do for you? How did, Go on. How, how did you become a Cincinnati Bengals fan <laughs> living in the UK? You have nothing else in life to do except oh, uh, <laughs> celebrate American football? Well, Okay, here's the short version, because I've told this story many times to people. So I started a new high school and uh, some of the guys were into the NFL and I'd seen it because um, we got uh, Chicago won the Super Bowl in 85. Yeah, and William, 
William Perry was a massive deal over here. He was like on the, you know, the fridge, yeah. refrigerator. It was on the back pages, the front pages. I don't yeah. know why, but he caught fire over here. So yeah, everyone he, kind of... He scored. He scored in that Super Bowl. Walter Payton didn't. Yeah, I know, which is the craziest thing, right? Yes. Um, but um, so everyone was aware of American football, as we like to call it over here. And... Um, so I met these new friends at my new high school and they were all kind of Dolphins fans and Raiders fans and 49ers fans because, you know, it was the age of Marino, Montana, all these kind of big guys. And I thought, no, I want my own team to, to support, right? So I started watching the TV and these highlights shows that I, I mentioned before we came on. And I saw this blonde-haired quarterback in tiger-stripe helmet throwing the ball downfield. He was doing what I didn't know was called a play action at the time, but he was doing a play action fake, the likes of which even creep, you know, completely bamboozled the cameraman. You know what I mean? You saw Boomer doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, close Julius Society. Yeah. So I, I thought, hold on a minute. This team looks like really good fun. And they've got like these orange tiger helmets. And this could be the team for me. So that was it. And, a couple oh, of good. years later, I was entirely vindicated when they got to the Super Bowl. Good, good, good. But then the nineties happened, and I wasn't so vindicated. But there, we, that's another story. So that's, that's my same for us. Same for us. Yeah, right. So what do you want to know? So basically, I mean, let's go back to those fifty-three years because you were drafted in the twelfth round, right? In in sixty-eight, and um, you then you selected by the Bengals. What were your thoughts? Were you hoping that, oh, you know, maybe I'll go to one of these storied teams like a Chicago or a, I don't know, whoever it might be, and I'm getting this kind of brand new team in Cincinnati? How? What were your thoughts? Yeah, well, um, one, I was shocked uh, that I was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, primarily because uh, I had been in the Navy the previous on active duty in the Navy the previous 180 days. And uh, the draft was in early March. And uh, I was at work collecting bills in Los Angeles. And my wife called me and said, you just got drafted. And uh, I, I said, that's impossible. I just got out of the Navy. She said, no, no, no. By this team in the American Football League called the Cincinnati Bengals. And I was flabbergasted. I had no contact, no connection. I'd never worked out for anybody. Uh, my personal thought was, since I'm living in Los Angeles, uh, I'm going to try it as a free agent with the Rams. And uh, that was my thought. That obviously all changed. So I'm collecting bills. Uh, again, the draft is in the first part of March. I'm collecting bills, and that's driving around uh, bothering people for money. And I said, I need a construction job. I was working out of downtown Los Angeles and I was living in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, at that time, that was the busiest freeway in the world. I spent more time in the car going to and from work than I did working. It was mm -hmm. that bad. So I get this construction job in the San Fernando Valley, close to where I lived. And uh, it was hard work in uh, hot weather and I thought get myself in shape as I'm going home one day I driving home one day I drive by this small 
at that time community college, uh, San Fernando San Fernando Valley State College, and I noticed that there are several guys out there practicing football, throwing it around, and I just kind of I slowed down a little bit, and but kept driving. Uh, the next day, I thought, well, I'm going to stop see who these guys are. Uh, maybe I can join them or they can join me and I can get in football shape. So I stopped and I got out, walked maybe, I don't know, 70 or 80 yards to get to where they're practicing. And as I approached this group of, of athletes, I noticed on the ground, uh, there's a great big bag with the Green Bay Packers sign on the side. And, uh, you know, what is going on? And I walk up and I, I introduce myself and the guy who was responsible for the uh, practice yeah. and uh, the yeah. guy who owned the Green Bay bag, his name was Zeke Bratkowski. And Zeke Bratkowski was Bart Starr's backup and uh, Bart Starr was the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers of the uh, Lombardi-era Green Bay Packers. And uh, that began uh, a six-day-a-week workout routine with Zeke Bratkowski. Wow. And uh, we started every practice with uh, uh, 75 or 80 up-downs because that's what Lombardi started every practice with in Green Bay. And I was one of two receivers. And I don't remember the other kid's name. Mm. Uh, but uh, Zeke taught me what Green Bay Packers receivers uh, were doing. So I was catching passes from Zeke Bratkowski, and I was Boyd Dollar. I was Max McGee. I, I was, uh, I think they're tied in with Marv Fleming at the time. Uh, and, and I was running the Green Bay Packers offense. And we did that six days a week from, um, I don't know, I'd say the middle of March until the end of June. Uh, to say the least, uh, at the end of June, I was in the best shape of my life just because of Zeke Radkowski. Wow. And physically, uh, Zeke could use me. Uh, Carol Dale was another receiver for the uh, Green Bay Packers. Ran his patterns too. So a, a couple of days before everything breaks up and everybody's got to go to various camps, Zeke takes me over to the side away from the seven or eight other guys as the practice ends. And he says, uh, listen, I, I want to tell you, um, you can make our team. I said, what? He said, you can, you can make the Green Bay Packers team. You're faster than they went through this, and you run better than they, and you catch the, the ball better than that. So I'm going to tell our scouts uh, that if my name, the name Trumpy, shows up on the waiver wire, give this kid a chance. Hmm. Well, uh, psychologically, what that did for me uh, was I, I, I can't describe. There's hmm. no way in the world I can put into words. What? I'm a 12th round draft choice, and this kid's this guy's telling me, who plays in the NFL, that I can play for him. They have just won the world championships. What? Are you serious? <laughs> and and, and uh, 
the end of June, July 1st, I fly into Cincinnati, uh, again, physically in great shape and mentally, uh, the, the advantage it gave me, it, it, I, it's something I'll never forget. And it's something that I, I absolutely still struggle to survive other than any chance I get, mm. I give uh, Zeke Ratkowski, who's not dead, um, all the credit for um, psychologically helping me over the biggest barrier, I think, uh, of being a 12th round draft choice of the Cincinnati Bengals. And, and, and to consider it even more outrageous, in the fourth round of the same draft, the Cincinnati Bengals drafted a kid who was physically, at the time they announced his name, in the Michigan State Prison, uh, Jess Phillips. Uh, he was drafted as a defensive back, uh, played a little defensive back, and then a lot of running back for us. They drafted him eight rounds before they drafted me. And, and, and so that tells you what they knew or what they thought they knew about me. I was a total unknown uh, until I got there. So th th that's, that that's was... That's always been my first thought that that, that that my career started like nobody else in the history of leagues of, of the National Football League or the American Football League ever started. Excuse me. <coughs> and then I check into my dorm room. Uh, I rode up from the airport in Cincinnati with a black kid named. Uh, Bill Kendrick, he was a defensive tackle from one of the Southern Black Colleges. Great kid, great guy, the only guy I knew. And uh, the airport in Cincinnati is probably uh, 20 minutes south of Cincinnati in mm. Kentucky. Uh, Wilmington College is uh, 45 miles north of Cincinnati. So we had about an hour and a half bus ride, just the two of us and the driver from the airport up to the uh, up to uh, training camp that that first night. So I check into my room and there's a body lying in the bed and the light from the hallway wakes him up. And I said, sorry. And he said, my name's Wally Scott, Bob Trumpy. Welcome to training camp. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to hit the sack. I'm tired. How about you? Yeah, fine. We'll talk in the morning. I went to sleep. I wake up, Wally Scott's not there. Uh, he went to breakfast. Uh, I get up, take a shower, brush my teeth, kind of ask somebody, where do we go? What do you, what, what do we do here? And well, places you have breakfast is over there. So it was maybe a 10 minute walk mm. to, to get to the place where we had breakfast. Uh, I go there and I see Wally Scott sitting there and he's about to finish his breakfast as I'm just starting. I said, uh, where are you from? Uh, Arizona State. What position you play? Defensive back. Uh, how about you? Tight end. Uh, uh, uh. I'll see you back at the room. So I finish my breakfast, get to the local newspaper, see if there's anything in there about Trumpy showed up. So now we can start. There wasn't such of a story and I leisurely walked back to my room and I opened the door and there was no trace of Wally Scott. Uh, absolutely no trace other than wrinkled sheets 
uh, I thought I was in the wrong room. I looked in the closet and all his clothes are gone. Gone. I think, wait, wait, what happened here? He'd already been cut. They saw him at breakfast. Wow. And, uh, he, he was too short. Uh, in that first training camp, I had six roommates, uh, six different roommates. Wally Scott is the only guy that I can remember. Uh, <laughs> it's, they they came in for lunch, they ran him in the forty. Some stayed for dinner, some were gone. Uh, it, it it was absolutely extraordinary looking back on it, mm. uh, what that first year was. But that's the way it started for me. And what what a great story! And I think I could probably talk to you all day about different players and stories. But you you had an amazing career, Bob. You sixty eight till seventy seven. You're still. Uh, you know, the the record holder for the amount of yards um, and yards per catch by, by Bengals tight end. But what interests me back then, we keep being told it wasn't a passing, it wasn't a passing league, right? It was, you know, so to what kind of, for our younger listeners, uh, what kind of player were you and, and what were tight ends like back in the late 60s and early to to mid 70s yeah that's a great question and and uh uh i am credited uh for being the, the first tight end that could get down the field uh which i could do but i can't take credit for it uh the the credit has to be given to bill walsh uh he was our quarterbacks receiver coach and uh, he uh he recognized I could do things that wide receivers do at the size he thought of a tight end. And prior to me, especially in the NFL, uh, the tight ends were extra guards. Um, there's no other way to look at it. I mean, Green Bay featured the sweep uh, to the tight end side. And uh, their tight ends were Ron Kramer at one time and then Marv Fleming. Uh, Great big guys, 250, 255, the same size as the offensive lineman, and their number one responsibility was uh, block, uh, not catch passes. Well, I could get down the field uh, for 6'6", uh, and uh, I legitimately weighed about 210 pounds, but I held a 10-pound weight in my hand when I first weighed in, so they thought I was 220. But I could get down the field. Bill Walsh recognized that. And then because of the injury to Greg Cook in 1969, uh, he was succeeded by uh, Cook was 6'5", 225, a Greek god standing back there throwing the football. Hurt, can't play anymore. He was succeeded by uh, a five foot ten inch Virgil Carter who couldn't even see the tight end. And that kind of spawned the uh, so-called West Coast offense with me moving around. Uh, and actually, when Wallace came up with the idea, uh, Paul Brown didn't like it. Uh, he didn't like it because when in the early years of the Cincinnati Bengals, winning was never talked about. Uh, lining up properly. Uh making sure that the snap count was heard by everybody, no offsides, 
we didn't do a lot of audibles. We ran the ball a whole bunch. He was more interested in that. And then uh, I don't know how Bill Walsh convinced him, but convinced uh, Bill Walsh did convince Paul Brown that uh, when you, you move the tight end, it distorts the defense. And we've got Trumpy on a guy who is not out there to covering. He's out there to tackling. And uh, that kind of started the West Coast offense. And, and yes, uh, th- there was that one year where uh, Eric Crabtree, uh, Chip Myers, and I, you know, the, the three starting receivers, we have all averaged over 20 yards a catch. That was the year of Greg Cook. And then that went away the next year, and then it became under Walsh. Uh, you look at the primary you look at the secondary, and then you look at the outlet, and that was the basis for the uh, for the West Coast offense. So, but let me, let me give you one other bit of in, uh, information. Uh, in looking back on that first year, uh, personally, uh, we worked out twice a day. Uh, the good thing about Paul Brown's uh, practices, they were only an hour and fifteen minutes long. He thought anything past that, that, that we were wasting time, coaches were wasting time, get off the field after an hour and 15 minutes, twice a day. And we beat the hell out of each other twice a day for an hour and 15 minutes. He's not trying to win a game this weekend. He's trying to build a football team. And, and I'm, Paul, I'm telling you, we beat the hell out of each other twice a day with, as best we possibly could. In that first year, there were uh, four tight ends uh, when camp started, of which uh, three were uh, veteran allocation players from other teams than me. Mm. And uh, they only kept two, Ken Harrock and I. And in that first training camp, again, twice a day, beating the hell out of each other, trying to make an impression on the coaches to, you want to keep me. Hmm. I don't remember having a scrape, a scratch, a bruise, a pulled muscle, uh, nothing in, in all that contact. I don't what? remember. Uh, it, it's remarkable because the rest of my training camp tr- career, which was two months long with six preseason games, uh, you were constantly having nicks and, and cuts and bruises and scratches and I didn't have to treat anything in 1968, and it just blows me away. I mean, now, now you go to the dentist and you get a black eye, so that's remarkable that you uh, you didn't get a scratch during those early nothing, counts. Nothing. No, no, not a, and, and there were guys all the time, hmm. uh, you know, pulled hamstring, they're, they're out for four or five days, they recover, gone. Hmm. Uh, I didn't experience any of that. And uh, I ate well, I slept well, I made friends, and nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew what it was going to take to make this football team. We were all in the same spot except for the high draft choices. They they knew they had it made. The rest of us had to leave an impression every, a positive impression, every single day. So about uh, five weeks into training camp, uh, almost every evening after our evening meeting, uh, there'd be gatherings of players, uh, rookies primarily, 
uh, draft choices, myself included, would gather in somebody's room and just shoot the breeze about who's going to make it, who's not, what, what do you know, what do you don't know, and mm, so on mm, and so forth. Mm. And uh, one of the receivers on the team, Warren McVay, said, I know who's making this team in this room for sure. And uh, I was eating a, a, a chocolate milkshake uh, and said, Trumpy, you're making this team. And I said, how can you make that observation? And he said, you've caught everything that they've thrown at you. You've beaten every defensive back that's lined up against you. Hmm. Don't kid yourself. You've got this team made. Well, that's a terrible thing to tell me. I don't know about anybody else, but to tell me. The next morning, I tell my roommate, after the morning practice, I'm going to ask Paul Brown if I got this team made. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our first son, and she was in Southern California, and she did inform me that uh, in a matter of three weeks, she can't travel. So I'm either going to go to Los Angeles and be with her for the birth of my child, or uh, I got to make arrangements to get her here to Cincinnati. And uh, me saying that to my roommate spread throughout the third floor where all the rookies were. Oh, my God, Trumpy's going to go down and confront Paul Brown. I go down to his office. Outside the office was a sports writer that had covered Paul for 40 years. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm in a tough situation here. I, my wife's pregnant, pregnant, and in three weeks she can't travel. I'm either going to make this team get her here or I'm not making this team. I'm going to Los Angeles. And he said, don't do that. Don't, don't confront Paul Brown. And I knocked on the door. And uh, Paul let me in. The first thing I noticed was his room was air conditioned. Mine was not Anyway, I, he said, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I just heard from my wife. She's pregnant with our first child. She can only travel for the next three weeks. Uh, I'm going to be there for the birth of my uh, first son. Uh, if I'm not going to make this team, I'll try out for the Rams. I'm going to Los Angeles. If I am going to make this team, I need to get her on a plane here soon and get her settled at an apartment somewhere in Cincinnati and find a doctor. And uh, Paul had, I'll try to do my Paul Brown imitation. I, the hairline <laughs> very similar, but he, he wore his glasses like this. And he, his eyebrows, yeah. kept doing that and kept doing that. And he said, well, young man, uh, why don't you call your wife and have her come to Cincinnati? And uh, I okay. And I then said to him, well, you promised me $1,000 if I made the team. If I've made the team, that $1,000 would help get her here and help, her, uh, help us get an apartment. And he said, that's exactly what we promised you. He got up walked to a door, said something to somebody in the background and uh, came back, sat down in front of me and he says, we'll find a doctor for her. This is where you should live. Uh, welcome to the Cincinnati Bengals. And through the door walks his son, Mike Brown, with a thousand dollar check. I leave, I leave that office 
and I was, I don't know why I remember this, but I was wearing a blue shirt that when I walked out of the office from here down was sweat. And I didn't, I didn't remember sweating in, in his office, but soaked with sweat. So I walked down the hallway and start up the, the stairway to the third floor. And as I get to the third floor, I look down the hallway and there's 40 heads sticking out of the door. <laughs> Looking like, like this. And uh, I finally get down to my room. And again, I can't remember my roommate's name, but uh, I get down to my room and I walk in and my roommate is sitting on the bed and he looks at me and he says, oh, I see the sweat on your shirt. You must have cut you. I said, no. Yeah, he cut you. No, he didn't. And I pulled out the $1,000 check. I said, he told me I made the team. Wow. The story. Wow. Now, that's not the way professional football careers generally start. That's the way mine started. Wow. It's a great story. And I, I think we should wrap this up in a bit. You've already been very kind with your time, Bob. And um I mean, I, I would have liked, I want to talk to you at some stage in the future about Greg Cook. If sure. if listeners are out there, go and hunt down the documentary on, on Greg Cook that Bob made. It's on YouTube and it's really moving and fascinating and uh, and interesting. I want to talk to you about when Ken Anderson came in and because the team started to get good, didn't it? And by the mid 70s, you were, uh, you know, the Bengals were a threat in the in the league, you know, that 75, 76 team particularly was fantastic. I know that was towards the end of your career there, but just to wrap this up, Bob, when Bill Walsh introduced the, the, the West coast offense or the, um, what was it called? The Ohio riverboat offense or something, whatever, whatever. it was called. Yeah. It was our did, offense. Did Yeah. Right. Yeah. Your offense. Did you, did you sense it was something different, something exciting, something was beginning to, to no. build, really build in, in Cincinnati? No. No? Okay. Uh, no. Uh, it, it, it was a complete um, and totally different style because in Greg Cook, he was a bomber. Yeah. We were going to outrun everybody. Uh, <clears throat> and, and we could. Uh, when Walsh used to... Uh, teaches the offense on the chalkboard. Uh, he used to use a line that uh, never forget. And that is, he said, we're never going to concede a play to the defense. That means if that guy's covered and if that guy's covered, we got a guy here that's always open. He may be behind the line of scrimmage, mm. but we're going to throw it to him and they, the defense is going to make a tackle. We are never going to throw the ball away. Right. You know, just concede a play to the defense. We are not doing that. And he preached that to our quarterbacks, uh, primary, secondary, outlet, primary, secondary, outlet. And we had to be at certain spots in the for the timing of the play to work. And so it was our job as receivers to get to that spot. Uh, nowadays, you have option routes and the uh, guy's kind of juke and jive and all the rest of the stuff. This was timing to a particular spot at the right time. And that's, that, that's what it was. So it was very difficult to do. 
and it was very repetitive in practice and it was not fun uh <laughs> there was you weren't allowed to ad lib in any way shape or form get to that spot the quarterback is looking at you first him second him third get to that spot and then when 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 you we tied that to the running game that we had because we had uh, uh, Booby Clark, Essex Johnson, which is a pretty formidable pair of running backs. Uh, it, it brought the defense closer to the line of scrimmage to stop the yeah. run. When Ken Anderson got there, uh, and again, primary, secondary, outlet. Uh, I see Bill Walsh in the offseason because we all had offseason jobs and I worked in downtown Cincinnati. And he said, where do you see this quarterback we got from tiny Augustana College? Um, he's a perfect quarterback. And I'd never heard of Ken Anderson. What are you talking about? From Augustana College? Has there ever been another player from Augustana? Uh, is he like Greg Cook? No. Then don't talk to me about uh, how great a quarterback he, he is. Uh, but it, Walsh kept raving uh, about uh, Ken Anderson. What I didn't know was that uh, Ken Anderson was quarterback slash safety uh, for this Augustano football team. He was the biggest guy on the field most of the time for Augustana. And Walsh was building, literally building this quarterback uh, into the offense. He was not adjusting the offense to the quarterback. He was building the quarterback to the offense. And then all of a sudden, when we get to training camp and we start seeing Ken Anderson and the discipline and, and, and the arm strength and, and the, 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 the repetition was easier and easier and easier. And when I got to the spot, if primary wasn't open, bam, the ball was to me secondary. When I was the primary, if I got open, bam, it was there all of a sudden, it started really working. And then uh, that was, what, a 72 or 73? I think 72. We progressively got better. And uh, all the way up to 75 and 76, we thought we were uh, one of the best teams in the uh, in the league. Unfortunately, we're the, we were the second best team in the division. Pittsburgh owned us. Yeah. There's no other way to look at it. We don't mention that team on this podcast, uh, Bob, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> listen, we, I could genuinely talk to you all day, which would be boring for you, but fantastic for me. Um, uh, congratulate. Listen, you're, you're one of the best ever Bengals, so congratulations well, on an incredible you. career. Um, I haven't touched on nearly any of the subjects that I want to talk about, but it was great to listen to you tell your amazing stories. We can do it again. And, I've well, got more. Okay, uh, but seriously, congratulations on the Ring of Honor uh, inclusion. Uh, I, I mean, you're one of the shoe-ins, I think. So hopefully, you'll get in uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, but Bob, listen, thank you so much for the time. Well, nice to have met you. I, I appreciate you, you, you guys over there. If, if there's one, it's or not just me. It's not just me. Years. Believe it. This <laughs> there are hundreds of Bengals fans. Yes, around, yes, so. we appreciate your support. The the, the team needs it. There we go. How brilliant was that? Bob Trumpy. Um, he's 76 years old now and can't thank Bob enough for um, 
for spending the time with us, really. And I know I say it all the time, but he is really one of those guys that you could sit down in a bar with. Uh, I know he said he doesn't drink, but um, he uh, he just, you know, got so many stories and just a fascinating insight into what it was like in those early days in Cincinnati when the team was just starting. It was interesting that he was saying that Paul Brown didn't necessarily target being a winning football team to begin with it was all about just being a competent football team do you know what I mean Mm, Uh, that was really interesting and uh, yeah some great stories and some great players Um, and what was interesting to me you know the fact that those guys had summer jobs during the days um, yeah there's always crazy to me when you look at the amount of money that's sort of swishing and swilling around the league these days and um and I'm really fascinated by the introduction of the West Coast offense, uh, which, again, all this innovation from the team, the West Coast offense, the no-huddle offense, where did it come from? It came from the Bengals. Um, and to begin with, they didn't particularly like it because for the West Coast offense to work, it meant repetition in practice. It meant precision. And, of course, you know, when you have to do, like, you know, rep after rep after rep, as Bob says, it wasn't particularly fun. You know, uh, and I guess someone like Greg Cook, who preceded Virgil Carter and uh, Ken Anderson at quarterback, he was just like this blonde, blonde bombshell, chuck it down the field, didn't care too much for precision, precision, just go and run and I'll chuck it to you, mate. Whereas Bill Walsh's West Coast offense, or whatever it was called then, um... That wasn't like that. It was all about you've got to be in the right, pl- exactly in the right place at the right time for this to work. And uh, yeah, I found that fascinating, really. But I'd love to have another conversation about Greg Cook with Bob because I think you know, um, as I said in the in the interview there, if you can go on YouTube and search for uh, a Greg Cook documentary, uh, which which is sort of hosted and narrated by Bob. Um, it's well worth a watch because uh, it shows you, A, what a great player he was and what a kind of tragic figure he was as well. So that's well worth uh, a watch. And go and see some... some some. There is some footage of Bob playing on YouTube and he was a marauding tight end. He was Gronkowski. Before Gronkowski, he was genuinely revolutionary in terms of the position and uh again it's excellent so... blocker wouldn't he well I, he just i've heard he wasn't the greatest blocker to be honest with you it was more to do with his <laughs> his receiving that's i mean in an age where where tight ends as he said were just seen as an extra uh offensive lineman this guy came on and he as i say he was gronkowski he was like catching the ball for touchdowns 70 yard touchdowns for tight ends that was kind of unheard of you know so um also, just I think as well, but the one thing that's crazy to me is a twelfth round pick. There's yeah, three, yeah, yeah. He was pick, pick number three hundred and one in the nineteen sixty eight NFL draft, and you just think three hundred guys have gone before him, yeah. And yet he ended up, you know, multiple Pro Bowls, and you know, on obviously this Bengals Ring of Honor list after three hundred guys went before him. Yeah, incredible, really. And... But it must have been almost impossible back in those drafts to to really scout people. I mean, you think mm. back in like nineteen the nineteen sixties, like. You know, it would have been a big deal, wouldn't it, to get all these people out to games and 
stuff well, like that. It must have been much more of a crapshoot than it is now, where you're measuring yeah. arms and you've got combines yes. yeah, and you've yeah, got yeah. all this like you know all this crazy footage and videos and interview processes and stuff. It it very much must have been you send some geezer out, you know, in his car to go and watch yeah. a few games and scribble <laughs> some notes on some paper and stuff. I mean, as Bob said, it was sheer luck. The fact that he ended up practicing with some of the Green Bay guys that got him to Cincinnati, you know. So, yeah, very, very interesting indeed. And of course, we haven't even mentioned his broadcasting career. He was, he was. I was going to say, yeah, he was Chris Collinsworth before Chris Collinsworth. In fact, Chris Collinsworth kind of came in and not took his job, but kind of took over from him. NBC. I mean, Bob commentated on about I think four Super Bowls and. You know, he was a well-known voice and a well-known media figure. So, what a what a life he's led, and um, yeah, he's played with all the greats, and uh, certainly very interesting to hear him talk about the 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 actual start of the Cincinnati Bengals, which is incredible, really. But um, yeah, what a treat that was to talk to uh, a real legend, and again, absolute pinch yourself moment there. So, thanks to Bob. Uh, we have got some correspondence as per usual. You can get us uh, at today underscore UK on Twitter. Uh, we're Bengals UK on Facebook. We're on YouTube as well. And uh, I'm very happy to report that we are going to be starting our watch parties. Not this week, but the uh, weekend afterwards. We're going to roll those out every Sunday evening UK time. Uh, I think for about a month until training camp starts. So at least during that real uh, barren period, you'll have some football to watch and hopefully we can have a laugh online as we did last year. So say, stay tuned uh, for that. Um, but yeah, let's get to our um, correspondence. Uh, Governor Chief at Governor Chief. We love you guys. We talk about you all on our podcast. But seeing Joey B made me smile literally all day. I had all his throws on repeat throughout the day. Living in Cincinnati, you can feel the energy of this new team. I love how the Bengals is changing the culture here. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Living in Cincinnati, you can kind of, you know, the energy is there. And it must be, it must be fun at the moment, I think. One hundred percent, and I think having you know, you, not that you forget this, but obviously the Bengals getting Joe Burrow was like the absolute golden pick of the last sort of ten, fifteen years, maybe ever in this franchise. As crazy as that sounds, as number one overall, and obviously the last year was disappointing, and we missed Burrow at the end of the season. But you know, Burrow's got years' experience under his belt now. We've got a better offense. You've got an extra game to watch him on. He looks healthy. I think it is going to be a really exciting season for the Bengals. Season three. For Zach Taylor, hopefully he's learned some lessons as well. So I can I can completely understand the optimism that's out there at the moment. Absolutely. Um, my mic, the battery, in my mic's going a little bit, but I'll soldier through. So if it gets a bit crackly, I apologise. Uh, Ken Davis at Ken Davis, who on the current roster, excepting Joe Burrow, ends up in the Ring of Honor? And I think that's a really good question and a really difficult one to to answer but i'll let you go first nathan oh it's difficult now because it's difficult now because you've not got the obvious ones in like gino and aj and people like that you would have absolutely said in the past um 
I mean, I mean, the way Jesse Bates yeah, is going, yeah, like yeah. if they get him re-signed to another deal, I mean, it's still very early in his career, but he certainly would have a have a shout. I mean, the way Tyler Boyd is going, I mean, me and you were talking off air before this podcast about Tyler Boyd and just how he sort of turned his career around. I mean, he was a healthy scratch at one point and now is, you know, the Bengals one of the most reliable receivers for the last couple of seasons. I think if he keeps performing at a high level for the next couple of years, he'd have a sort of decent chance to get in. Jamar Chase is untapped potential. I mean, he's someone, you know, that, that quite clearly was the best receiver prospect in the draft at the time. And, you know, I think he's going to have a very high ceiling and it'll be interesting to see how he performs. I mean, if he could emulate what AJ Green did for us as sort of like top five, number one hmm. uh, first round pick, then he certainly will have his chance. But I don't know. I'm, I'm missing someone, son. Is there anyone I've missed that's sort of right in my face? No, I don't think. I mean, maybe Mixon, maybe, you know, Higgins uh, could be added in there, you know. Um, yeah, there's no. There's I feel no... like T Higgins just just quickly on this. Yeah. I feel like T Higgins is one of those guys that's not not been disrespected, but I think he's gone very very under the radar with this Jamar Chase pick because mm. I thought he was fantastic last year. Considering that half the season he had, you know, Ryan Finley and Brandon Allen thrown to him, he was sort of second round pick, first pick in the second round. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he yeah. was one of the real lone bright spots last year alongside someone like Jesse Bates, and I just think that. With Jamar Chase coming in, everyone's sort of going crazy about him. And you've obviously got Tyler Boyd's been there for a long time and he's a known quantity. I mean, someone like T Higgins, I mean, a few people have said, well, you know, some of the talking heads, or I think his ceiling's a bit, you know, he might have a bit of a ceiling here. He might not necessarily be that sort of traditional number one. I mean, if, if I'm T Higgins and Jamar Chase is coming in, I'm taking that, not personally, but I'm saying, look, I'm, I'm the number one on this team. You know, he's yeah, not going to go yeah. down without a fight. So, I, he's one of those guys going into year two. I mean, he had a fantastic rookie year. I, I'm excited to see what he's got, to be honest, because he's got a full year under his belt. You know, mm. he played pretty much the whole season. He's got hopefully Burrow thrown to him for the full length again. He's got that chemistry there. I mean, he's someone that I don't think enough people are talking about, and I think he could have a, a very good year. I agree, and the Bengals are casting our minds forward. They've got a real decision to make in about three or four years because... They'll have to pay yeah, Joe yeah, Boy, yeah. and then yeah, who are they going to pay? They can't pay everyone, so is it going to be Higgins? Is it going to be Chase? Yeah, that's a good point. What about what about TB? You know, I don't think you can keep all of them. So it's, no. it's, it's, it's almost like now or never. You know, it's time to blaze out there, and uh, these three could do it, I think. We'll see. Uh, Jamie at Trequart Beaster. Great to see Joey B. I feel Bengals have missed a trick not allowing more on for this first Ring of Honor induction. Riley, Anderson and Anderson should all be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and therefore all three should be in the Ring of Honor immediately. Finally, there's six free spaces on the roster and a decent wedge of cap room. Do you think there's anyone we should be bringing into the team right now to get us up to 90? Um, I I tend to agree with him about the Ring of Honor, but I also agree with you that you don't want to put everyone in straight away because you don't want to devalue the process. You want it to remain prestigious. And again, I you know you kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't with this sort of thing. But yeah, you know I think Willie will be in next year. I think hopefully Bob Trumpy will be in next year and a few others maybe. But in terms of uh, getting someone in, I agree. I think they still need a little bit of depth 
in a few positions and I wonder when it's roster cut day which I think is early June first week of June so not too far away I mean I would love to see a Jarrell Casey come in someone like that on the defensive line I know we've stocked up quite heavily there and I don't think they're going to go defensive line um but yeah, I think I think a quality veteran linebacker has to be yeah, at the yeah. top of that shopping list. I don't know who's out there. I haven't checked, but you know, I know Jordan Hicks is out there and uh, Josh Bynes if we want to bring him back. But yeah, I think that that would be a boost to that position group. And um, you know, I, I don't think... know. I don't know. I think I think you know if there's anybody out there. I mean, there was talk of the Washington tackle Moses. Uh, a lot of fans got excited when he. Uh, became available but I honestly think they're kind of done with the offensive line for now and um, I agree yeah I agree so yeah a, line, uh, a linebacker I think definitely a linebacker I completely agree on linebacker I like you I'm not 100% sure of exactly who's out there at the moment obviously Josh Bynes I a lot of people were quite positive about Josh Bynes last year and I wasn't one of those people I thought he was absolutely at, average, at, at best average yeah and I think that there's that whole argument where he's good in the locker room. He knows the AFC North previously being with the Ravens, but I think it speaks volumes in some ways that the Bengals have got no real experience on that, um, in that linebacker group. They didn't really address it that heavily in the draft at all. So, you know, there's a big hole there. Why have they not brought Bynes back? It's certainly not going to be a financial thing. Mm. You know, they could easily afford to pay him and bring him back. So I, I do think that's one of those things that, you know, that, potentially they're looking at that saying, look, we think we could probably do better than this. Yeah. Um, and I'd be stunned, like you said, if it comes down to roster cuts day or, you know, there's a potential trade to be had out there. Let's not forget the Bengals do actually make a few trades just before the roster cut down. They did it last year with, um, who is it they brought over from Denver? Um, Christian Covington, they brought him over. Yeah, they did but it in the that, past. That, that was, that was because of injuries, wasn't it? Mostly Covington. It was, but I mean, I wouldn't rule out, you know, if there's a guy that potentially won't make the roster and the Bengals are willing to sort of flip them a seventh or something like that to just secure him coming off of the team so that it doesn't get, they don't get into a bidding war. I wouldn't rule that out because I think they desperately do need a linebacker. It's the one position on the, the team that I think is a little bit worrying. Logan Wilson's a good player. I thought he did well last year, but yeah, there's just not that veteran leadership on there. And I just think if there was a couple of injuries at the linebacker position, you'd be really, really struggling. And we know yeah. what it's like as Bengals fans covering tight ends, trying to stop mm. the run. And mm. we don't we don't want that to just be sort of like a real sort of gaping hole on the defence, which is otherwise fairly solid um, in other areas. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Duncan Yeadon at Slam Dunk the Funk. Solid handle. Delighted to see Joe back on the field. Surely the biggest news of the week has to be the return of Nathan Palmer from the US. I hope he behaved himself on Duval Street. My personal view is that they should have opened up with 10 names for the Ring of Honor straight off the bat. I mean, it's not a bad shout, really. But again, don't know. It's, uh, I think you could have started. If you do, I, I think... if you don't, really. I think they should have started with four. I think the two Kens should have got in, and then there should have been four. And I think you say that's an exceptional class. Yeah, that's what they're doing, isn't I... it? Brown, Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, and then no, two no, no. More. I mean, and then obviously, so you get four, oh, right, and then right, you right. get two in, and then so you that, start. So that that would be think... that would be six straight off the bat. So... Yeah, I just think obviously the fans will vote Ken Anderson and Ken Riley, and I'd be shocked if they didn't. But I think if they weren't to, if you were to say actually, there's four players on this team 
that are more deserving to get in the ring of honour. I think you're completely ripping off either one of their chances to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame because, you know, Willie Anderson's a very good player. He's probably the guy that you'd say is fifth on that list. Um, Maybe a Chad Johnson would be sixth or something like that, just speculating. But, yeah, I think that if there was a chance that one of those guys didn't get voted in at the first time it would be a real shame and I think the Bengals certainly for those four should have probably just said look we'll take care of this they're in and then who do you guys want and then I think a six person ring of honor is a nice sort of nice size it's not too small it's not too big and then you you add yeah two people year on year yeah the debate rages I mean if it's down to fans I'm, I reckon Chad's going to get in sooner rather than later and yes, there's no question agree, in my mind yeah. he's the most popular yeah. player in recent history i mean no no debate about that really um no, no um but yeah i i again i would perhaps put the older guys in first because you don't i mean frankly and let's not be morbid or whatever you don't want something like happen to ken riley to happen in this instance you want the older guys in that group to enjoy their day in the sun to enjoy you know the the cheers of the crowd and being on a football field again. I'd love to see uh, those older guys in straight away. And um, not because they're perhaps better. Well, maybe they are, actually. People like, you know, Ken's uh, in his 70s now. Bob's obviously in his 70s. I want to see those guys get some some love again, you know. And certainly with Ken, he's been, frankly, mistreated by the Hall of Fame for the past 10, 20 years. So he deserves it more than anyone I think as does Ken Riley so uh, get those two guys in and then we'll come back next year and put another two great players in as well so um yeah yeah there we go there's a resounding way to finish off the podcast um thanks so much for listening and a huge thank you to Bob Trumpy I mean it really is genuinely a dream come true uh for me and I know for you guys to 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 have someone like Bob on the podcast so thanks very much to him hope you enjoyed the interview We'll be back maybe next week. We'll see how we go. Um, and uh, we'll be back for the watch party. So look out for for some announcements on our social media uh, platforms. But until then, of course, it is a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.